Jet Set Breakfast. Music, culture, lively and critical discussions on SAFM. Moving into word domination, where we look at words, poetry, books, and the like. Now, the author Damon Gulgut is one of those extraordinary authors in South Africa who in many ways flies under the popular radar here at home. Globally, however, he's been nominated multiple times for the Man Booker Prize. He's a past winner of the Commonwealth Writers Prize for the African region, and his work has been translated into 16 different languages. He's written a number of books, but they are always supremely elegant, and no matter the incredible diversity of subject matter or the depths that the books plumb. For example, I loved a book called In a Strange Room, which was described by the Guardian newspaper as a peculiar sort of travel writing, but it took us in turn to India and Southern Africa on a riveting journey. And then there was the extraordinary Arctic Summer, which was a fictionalized biography of the author Ian Foster. How someone comes up and wanting to write a fictionalized biography of Ian Foster is beyond me, but it is an amazing book. Now we have a book called The Promise, which is a deep, resonant, and once again elegantly written novel about South Africa. Broadly, it follows a family of five over decades, and it's centered on the deaths of four of the characters. The passing of time in a country like South Africa, with its fraught history and very difficult present, is framed through the different end-of-life rituals, the ritual act as uh, we go back to the different deaths. And they are very different deaths. We go from murder to snake bite and much more. Now, Gulgut doesn't hold back when he describes the deaths. He talks about the smell of the skin, the texture of the skin, which sounds bizarre, but is absolutely right in terms of where the story goes. On the line with us is Damon Gulgut. Damon, thank you so much for joining us. Uh, it's a pleasure. Good morning, Michelle. Damon, you know, I read this book and it was one of those books that I started and I could not put down. Obviously, uh, I wanted to know who was going to survive. You know what I mean? It's like... Yeah. But, but the golden thread that is woven through this book is that of a promise. Within the family, it's a promise that's not kept. But critically, on a meta level, it's also about another promise, and that's the promise of a new democratic South Africa, and indeed the betrayals of the past and the betrayals of the present. Talk to us about that golden thread. Um, that part of the story actually came from a, a small uh, aside that a, a friend mentioned to me, which was a family story of his, about a black woman who had been working for his family for years and years and years and his had looked after his mother on her deathbed and in return his mother had asked the family um to give her the piece of land that she was living on um and the broken down house that stood on it they all agreed to it and then found ways over the years that followed not to follow through on that promise hmm. um and that struck me as a very south african story um, you know, clearly the issue of the land and who owns it is central to South Africa. But it really is just, um, you know, I, I, I guess it carries a lot of weight because the title of the book uh, stands on that. But in fact, it's it's more of a background detail in the story of this family. It's like a thing that comes up at each of these funerals, but it's by no means the central issue in the lives of all of those characters. I mean, they're, they're going on with their own quite ordinary other lives. Um, 
So anyway, I'm, I mean, obviously, South Africans are going to feel that issue more acutely maybe than other readers. But um, the book's really about how things change, I guess, over time. Um, yeah. You know, as I get older uh, I, and closer to the end of my life, I mean, hopefully I'm nowhere near that yet, <laughs> I think about what time has done to me and my yeah. life and to the country. So, it, you know, the story of this book is really through these four funerals just to show what changes um, in each decade, what has changed. I mean, these happen to be the decades I've lived through of South African history, so they're the, they're the ones I know best. Um, but all of us relate to, you know, time and how it changes us, I guess. Politics, our faces, our lives, our bodies, all, all of those things change with time. So, you know, that's a very personal concern and that's kind of what was at the forefront of the writing for me um you know the promises i mean isn't that funny you know that i mean i'm listening to and i'm thinking so yes the the issue of time was 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 critical for me in this book but for some reason the promise felt so important to me and i suppose what i started to do is i started to think about how we make promises and you know what a parent promises um, and and their child hears, yeah, yeah. and you know, I promise to keep. You don't have to be afraid because there's nothing in the dark, or you know, and and which in itself makes any promise a form of a betrayal because you can't always keep to that promise. And in fact, maybe it's a promise that was never even made because you don't even know for sure. Did she really hear it, or or didn't she? And I know that you say that it's 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 a backstory, but in so many ways, for me, it felt like something that framed particularly one of the characters as she grew older? Oh, sure. Um, I mean, you know, several reviews have already picked up. Um, most of the characters in the book are not, uh, you know, like morally a... enviable, no, shall we say. <laughs> exactly. I was going to ask you about that. Yeah. So, I mean, on the issue of the promise, uh, many other promises get sort of casually made and broken. Yeah. Um, you know, Often it's a promise made by a parent to a child, as you've, as you've just mentioned. Um, but, yeah, the Amor Swart, who's the youngest daughter in the family, is the one person to whom this promise really, really matters. Um, and, yes, as you say, I mean, I sort of, um, I made it slightly uncertain as to whether she could be 100% sure that she really had heard what she thought she heard in, in terms of yeah. the promise being made. Um, because that's how life works, right? I mean, yeah. there are no... 100% certainties ever, really. Um, but yeah, um, of course, there are other resonances to the word promise, and I sort of yeah. hope they show up too. I mean, the the promise of South Africa back yeah. in 1994 and exactly. what we've ended up with, and of course, the promise shown in the lives of some of the characters. I mean, Anton, the older brother in particular, who, as a young white man, um, in the opening sequence of the book, has all the promise of life at his fingertips yeah. and, of course, has, you know, ultimately ends up not yeah. fulfilling any of that promise, just like, you know, South Africa perhaps hasn't. So you, you mentioned it earlier, Damon. I mean, I mean, I have to say, uh, none of the characters are particularly likable, although we do feel empathy, uh, or, or I certainly felt empathy for all of them. But... Karmically, this is a family in a bad way. <laughs> I mean, if this is like... Well, sure. Um, 
I mean, it, it could be any family in South Africa or any white family in South Africa in that particular situation, but it, it's... it's they're just, dysfunctional. They're highly dysfunctional, sure. Yeah. Um, but, you know, as a passage in the book says, they're not very much different to the family on the next farm or the fa- farm yeah, beyond exactly. that. I mean, I would like to think um, that any anybody could relate to some aspect of it, even if you don't come from such a yeah. highly dysfunctional family. Um, but yeah, obviously, it's a, it's a family novel. And, um, you know, as Tolstoy said, all happy families are alike. <laughs> there's, there's no point in writing a story about a happy family. Exactly. Um, one gets a lot more out of a conflicted and dysfunctional family, at yeah. least story-wise, you do. Damon, I wondered about um, your relation as an author to the characters. I, I, I was thinking about the roadmap that you mapped out because, and the reason I say this is that they're very different characters, but it doesn't feel as though they're, I mean, more maybe the protagonist to a degree, but she, there isn't only one protagonist. So you're inhabiting each character separately, which does make for um, strange reading because often as one reads um, a book, you tie your, your emotions or your, your sense of, of, you know, wrong or good or whatever it may be to a specific character. But with this, I feel like I was constantly shifting. Yeah. Um, the voice of the book is, is odd. I know mm. that. Um, but it's, you know, intentionally odd, if I can put it like that. Yeah. I, you know, you, you're quite right. Most novels, especially third-person voice novels should be grounded in you know steady scenes where you you get to know this character as opposed to that one and so on but i sort of started writing it like that and then um i you know through through certain events uh, i came to a certain point where i realized okay there's another way to do this um and that way is far more in keeping with the way my my own internal voice works if i can put it like that which which jumps from one point of view to another and sort of qualifies itself mid-sentence and so on. So I actually went with that voice and found, uh, uh, found it quite liberating, especially, especially writing about so much death, you know, such a death-saturated book with a funeral and so on. Yeah. That voice had, had a lot of life in it. It could bounce like a squash ball from yeah. you know, this perspective to that one. Um, and I... I used the, the, the life of the voice to counterbalance all the sort of heavy yeah. death weight of the subject matter, if you like, um, which, you know, I, I got a lot of comedy out of it. And it's yes. gra- gratifying that a lot of people are saying to me how funny they find it because, you know, it, it would be very depressing if everyone was just focused on the funerals. Well, you know, you, you've, you've nailed it because, I mean, well, you nailed it, obviously, but I mean, in the writing of the death, and I have to say there's some very funny moments, um, dark, funny moments. But what I thought about was that with the narrator was that it's it's almost godlike, or, or could even be like some kind of ancestral character who's just commenting on these ultimately incredibly mundane activities of humankind. You know, you live and then you die. Oh, you know? yeah, well, that yeah, pretty much sums it up. It. Um the voice actually came from the experience of writing a couple of drafts of a film script. Yeah, and I, see, um, yeah. I suddenly realized that with prose, you could move in the same way that a camera does. I mean, to put it in simple terms, that you could pull right back and look at history from a, from a distance, you know, get a really yeah. kind of epic view. Or you could zoom in really close and get a, a kind of human, intimate moment. So I, 
you know, I wanted the voice of the book to have that sort of range. Um, And of course, you know, if you pull right back and look at human beings from far off, your perspective becomes quite cold. Um, And some people have said their notes of what they thought of as almost cruelty in the book. I hope it's not that extreme, but I do recognize that it's cold. And, you know, the other extreme, if you zoom up really close to someone's life, so close that you actually get into their thoughts and sort of hear them speaking to themselves in the first person, which the book does at at moments, then you're at the other extreme. You're you're kind of as warm as you can get towards towards people. But I wanted that to be the range uh, of the voice, if I can put it that way. You've had um, The Quarry made into a film. Do you see uh, The Promise becoming uh, potentially a film as well? (laughs) I'd like to think so, but... you know, uh, you, you, people would have to age convincingly from yeah. teenagehood all the way through to, you know, midlife. Uh, yeah. I don't know how you do that, um, movie-wise. Well, that's the filmmakers. But, that's well you know, these days it seems possible. <laughs> yeah, of course it would be great, but who knows. Yeah. Damon, um, in closing, you, I mean, as you mentioned, it, it, this is a story about time. Um, and and growing up and and aging and and all the things that that do become important as you get older or less important as you get older. And what struck me, uh, particularly in how you addressed the deaths of the different characters, was how the deaths changed over the decades, owing to certain shifts, um, perhaps in the country, but also in the lives of the individuals, but also. Um, the role of religion as it kind of fractured families, tore families, brought families, um, etc. I, I found that really, really fascinating, that, that the different angles you took with regards to religion and death, and, and that ritual that is part of it. Yeah, I mean, given that these are four snapshots, each one set in a different decade, I, I thought it would be interesting and fun to kind of vary what went into each decade. So, yeah. you know, it's probably not noticeable, but each one takes place in a different season, for one thing. Um, each death is a different kind of death, as, as, as yeah. you point out. I mean, and, and, and unless you die of old age, you're probably going to die either from illness, accident, murder, or suicide. So, you know, I was, I was sort of trying to cover the range, as it were. Yeah. And then with religion... Or snake I, bite, just per chance. <laughs> well, you know, that's an accident, so it stands in of for all course, the other accidents yes. that might yeah. take you out. But um, the religion, I thought, you know, my own family, for a start, is a mix of different religions. And as this is really a book about white South Africa, I try to reflect the kind of jumbled beliefs that white South Africa holds. So yeah. religion-wise, you know, there's the Calvinist thing, the Jewish thing, which is quite a strong thing in my own background. Yeah. Um, and then... Catholicism, and then ultimately a whole kind of range of New Age beliefs, which are, you know, as you know, quite prevalent in Cape Town these days. So, um, yeah, it's just fascinating and, again, fun, maybe in a comedic way, to look at what people believe, which, you know, plays out around death a lot. Um, Not only there, but... I I must say I did find that fascinating. I really really enjoyed that. Damon, um, I'd love you to, if if possible, to maybe just give us a short paragraph from the book. Sure, I'll um, I'll just take it almost at random, if that's all right. Yeah. (laughs) Feeling dizzy and generous as they finally let go, he tells his sister, you know, we can work something out with Salome's house. Really? Sure, he says, smiling. This is South Africa, land of miracles. We can make a plan. 
The last passengers are climbing onto the bus. The driver is getting ready to depart. She hesitates, but he waves her on. Remember, you can always come back whenever you want to. She looks at him through the tinted windows of the bus as it slowly pulls away. Singular figure leaning on the air, one hand upraised. When he turns to go, he does it quickly, and the city closes over him like a dirty brown river. I'll leave it there. Damon Galgut, thank you so much for joining us and uh, congratulations on your book. Damon, I want to tell you something fun just because I I can and I think you might like it. So, um, and, and I'll close with this and it's not about your book, but it's about. So Kazuo Ishiguro, the um, Nobel Prize winning prize winner for author, has just written the book Clara and the Sun. You may know it. And I recently bought a hard copy of it because it is such a beautiful design, the book itself. And I opened the book yesterday, and he had signed the book. Have we lost you? You not hear me? No, I missed you for a moment there. Don't you think that's amazing? It is, but how did you land up with a signed copy? I have no freaking idea. I bought it from the bookshop. Love books. And I've now got a signed copy of Kazuo Ishiguro's book, Clara and the Sun. Astonishing. It must mean something, but I don't know what it means. <laughs> <laughs> Damon Colgut, well done. Excellent book. I think uh, many South Africans should read it. It uh, answers, uh, or doesn't, uh, many questions. It asks many questions. It may answer some. That's Damon Galgut. He's the author of a fantastic book called The Promise. It's uh, published in South Africa by Umuzi Books, which is part of Penguin Random House. It's also available on an ebook. It is a beautifully written book and as I say elegant but plums the depths of both time of death and of what we consider to be a promise within a family or indeed a promise in a country it's 855